When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Front Row, and I'm your host, James Whiteside, principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theater and the author of Center Center. Take a seat in the front row as I discuss the creative process and the business of creativity with the world's brightest stars. Markaholic, a.k.a. Mark Byers, is a Los Angeles-based songwriter and producer who has created pop songs for drag superstars such as RuPaul, Trixie Mattel, Alaska, Willem, Nina West, and many more. He is responsible for the updated version of the RuPaul's Drag Race theme that notoriously changes the lyric, May the Best Woman Win, to May the Best Drag Queen Win, opening the competition to people who may not identify as cisgender. Mark is the go-to music producer for queer entertainers on TV, in film, and on the internet. Markaholic and I have worked together on my own music under the name JB Dubs for years, from I Hate My Job to Wallflower and Bodega Bouquet. In this episode, we talk about his work with the legendary RuPaul, as well as his work with other drag race superstars. We talk about how music producers use social media and how different equipment affects how music sounds. I find Mark's work amazing, and I think you will too, here in the front row. Markaholic, a.k.a. Mark Byers. Welcome to Front Row. How are you today? Thank you so much, James. I am excited to be here. I'm trying to look alive here at 9 a.m. Yeah, you're on the West Coast, aren't you? I sure am. Yes. And I stayed up too late. So, but we're doing it. All right, I'm going to dive right into this interview today. All right, so get bushy-tailed or whatever. (laughs) Oh, it's so bushy. <laughs> okay, you've created an interesting niche for yourself as RuPaul's music producer and the producer of many Drag Race alumni. Can you tell me how that happened? Yes. So I moved to LA in like 2008 and shortly thereafter met a comedian who brought me to this party where Willem was in attendance of... RuPaul's Drag Race Season 4 fame. This was before Drag Race Season 4, so Willem was not a Ru girl. But um, I was working with the comedian friend I mentioned on music, and um, he had a drag character. So Willem was also working on music at the time and was having some troubles, and I was like, that sounds fun. I want to help. So I was kind of just diving into whatever I could after moving to LA, yeah. but that is kind of like what, that's the treasure trove I found <laughs> was, was this friend of mine and Willem. And then when I started working on music for Willem, it became like a, a very regular thing. And then it spread to other Queens who Willem knew. And then Willem was on drag race and then it became Rue girls. And then I got a call out of the blue from, RuPaul one day asking for my services, which like blew my mind. 
Yeah. So for the record here, a Rue girl is any alumni of RuPaul's Drag Race, which are hundreds of drag queens all over the world now. It's an empire and it's uh, really a like a, a book of people for you to work with because there's nothing more ubiquitous than uh, a drag race single. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. You got you to gotta do it for the brand. Yeah. And Willem uh, was one of the sort of early season uh, contestants. Did Willem do a season of All Stars? No. I think because Willem got disqualified from season four, so then they had feelings about putting him back on. But I don't know the whole story. Yeah, I don't either. I'd like to know more. Have you heard anything that happened or could have happened? Oh, in the disqualification process? Yes, yes. Well, Willem's story publicly was that his husband, I think at the time, was coming in for conjugal visits during the taping of the show in the hotel where they're not supposed to have visitors or cell phones or access to outside anything. But I don't know if that there that was placed under scrutiny, I believe. So I don't know if mm. there if if that was like the whole story or it's all very mysterious. But for a long time there was like a hashtag that said what did Willem do? Because it was just announced <laughs> on the show that Willem had broken the rules and needed to go home. So everyone was very much curious. Yeah, I'm still curious. Yeah. It's a good storyline. Yeah. So tell me about uh, the first time you worked with RuPaul and uh, what was that call like? And what was the first project? The call was very um, surreal. (laughs) (laughs) I I had done a song for Shishi LaRue, who Mm -hmm. is friends with RuPaul. So Ru heard that song in particular and thought that, um, it was awesome and that it would be cool to do a song with me. So I met Rue at a restaurant um, for the first time just to like meet and probably so that he could assess whether I was like a crazy person or whether it would like be cool for us to work together. <laughs> yeah. So it was a ladies who lunch situation <laughs> and um, <laughs> we didn't talk too much about, were like about a specific project as i recall at that lunch but yeah we got together at my studio shortly thereafter and um i i think the first song was color me love so that may have not been in person because those vocals were already recorded it was rupaul and rebecca romaine yeah in a very like dancey track with just like vocal clips that were heavily edited and chopped up and, you know, so I was just, he sent me those files for the first song. I can't remember if we worked through it in person or if he was just like, this is what I want, but that was fun. And then we did like another track, one more track with Shishi LaRue for the realness album. So both of those were, both Uh of those songs were on there. And did Rue come to your studio for that? Yeah, there were a lot of studio visits in which Rue brought food because I apparently just like completely 
have a meltdown of <laughs> like energy and a musical ability if I don't eat. So um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he picked up on that very quickly after the first like couple hours in the studio. It's like, where, where did you go? I think you've left the building. So um, yeah, food is essential. And um, yeah, so we got in, we had a little, a little routine, like each time he had a music project of getting together, talking, talking about life for a little bit, working and then having like a lunch break, talking about life some more. He's very charming and like so fun to talk to about philosophy and like interpersonal relationships and like relationship with self and all of the, all of the fun things. Well, that tracks. I mean, I yeah. love the idea of you having a routine with RuPaul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a short time period because we like got that music done. And then as we all know, he's like pretty busy, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, there were like a few, a few spurts like that. And I also want to take a moment to talk about the new RuPaul's Drag Race theme, which you produced. This uh, new version sort of takes into account the possibility that people other than cisgender males might be competing in RuPaul's Drag Race. So tell me about how that came about. That was something that Ru reached out to me about because he had, I guess, the more specific ideas about what the new theme should be, but it was pretty open-ended. Like they wanted it to be like a remix. So new gender pronouns or removal of gender pronouns (laughs) and a remix so that it was clear that this song was updated. Yeah. So he had recorded vocals and sent them to me and said, you know, make a new theme. So I made like several options for what the vibe mm. could be. And wow. we picked one. And uh, yeah, it was surprisingly smooth, that process. Like one might think that there would be lots of notes flying back and forth because it's yeah. a thing that's going to air on TV a million times. But yeah. they were mostly like, this is cool. <laughs> Wild. So you as you essentially had to rebuild what the track originally had been, correct? Because who was the original producer of that track? Was that Lucian? It was Lucian, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me what happened with Lucian? I don't quite understand what happened with the original Drag Race producer and where he's gone to. Yeah. Well, that's I guess a little bit of a mysterious story too, but he, I think, had like a... The mysteries keep coming. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's the dark underbelly of <laughs> drag race. <laughs> he, I think, had like a legitimate mental breakdown and um, needed oh, wow. like treatment for it. And hmm. there was a period where he was posting all kinds of wild things on social media and there was tons of backlash and people were so angry. And my stance was like, maybe we need to be a little bit compassionate towards this person because he's obviously not like completely there. Like he's going through a mental episode. So we can't assume that he is like thought rationally through all these comments and thinks it's a great thing to say. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. I think it became an impossibility. He also, like, went away somewhere, like, on a trip without telling anyone. Like, he went off on a cruise in Mexico or something because he was just, like, um, in his own world at that point. So it became difficult for Rue to work with him or to, like, pin him down, you know? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So... Yeah, that that's sort of like the time period when I entered the picture because yeah. I was thinking maybe I need to work with other producers on this project and then like maybe we'll get Lucian back on the next one. But yeah. he has not returned. I think he's doing better now, but I'm not sure exactly what the status is. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about him. Do you think we'll ever hear the alternate versions that you created of the Drag Race theme? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're probably not different enough from hmm. the current one to be celebrated. However, <laughs> um, there is a full length version of the theme that's, you know, three minutes or whatever versus the 30 seconds it's on TV. Hmm. And that is meant to come out. I'm not sure what the status is, but. That's meant to be released at some point. And there's also like an even more remixy, chopped and screwed, like mm. alternate of it. Uh, that is not the theme melody. It's like a whole other thing, but it's sort of like made out of pieces of like ad Is there from is there a song version. you Oh we love an ad lib. Yeah. <laughs> is is there a, a song that you'd like to work with Rue on a new a uh, bit of production that you've been working on that you want to bring to Rue? Uh, there's not one in particular right now, but it's always kind of on my mind. Like, let mm. me come up with something brilliant <laughs> that he <laughs> must do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've collaborated with so many drag, uh, drag race contestants, and I would like to know who you liked working with the best or which product you liked working on the most, like which song you're most proud of? Well, I'm always very proud of Kitty girl because that had a Rue iteration, of course, and a all stars cast iteration. And it mm-hmm. had like a good amount of staying power. Like people latched onto that song, I think a lot, which is very satisfying. I still like listening to it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I do really like, as far as favorites go, I do really love working with Rue because he has like really great musical, like instincts and knowledge. He has really good ideas. Like I think people I've talked to have had varying degrees of opinions about like, Oh, like Rue must not be inputting much or Rue must like, completely know what the what the plan is and you know is just prescribing it to you but um yeah. it's super collaborative yeah i love kitty girl too i'm gonna see if we can get a little clip to drop in here um I, i'm still working on you know trying to figure out whether or not we're, we're able to do that so nate hopefully we can drop a little clip of kitty girl in there and if not that's okay too
think there's some sort of like time limit on how long the clips you can put in are. I don't, I don't freaking know. Also, I'm curious to know if any of the drag race queens have been particularly difficult to work with or hard <laughs> to nail down. No, I mean, like some of these people are like not musicians first. So it's like, I'm the musician in the scenario, like sort of guiding mm-hmm. them through the process. But in terms of like attitude, I'm really, you would think that there would be a lot of like sass and ego and like, mm. yeah, it would be sort of a, a shit storm, if you will, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it has not been like my least favorite work experiences have been like not with drag queens. Like yeah. I worked on a mo- uh, movie production one time that just like scrapped the entire music uh, from the movie and fired the director and they like didn't pay anyone. And I, you know, like stuff like that where I'm like, yeah. this is insane, but it's a nightmare. And, and they were like, so rude about it. It was, it was crazy. But um, yeah, the Queens have been like, so pleasant. I have not really experienced much of any entitlement or, or like, any of that i imagine the queens are so excited to be working with you and they're there because they want to be so i imagine it's just really eager and pleasant and fun yeah i think it's a fun process for them uh so i've worked with you on a number of occasions and uh, that is true we have uh our first project that you and i did together was the remix for i hate my job which is to date, my most popular song. <laughs> Love it. I can't believe I didn't list you as my most favorite client. <laughs> well, that was a given. Because, because really, um, yeah, I was thinking about drag queens, but I like working with you so much. Yeah, and vice versa. So the the way we got, you know, for listeners here, the way we were put in touch is a, a very dear friend of mine, Reed Bartlemy, who is a costume designer who is making ballet costumes for all the major companies across the world. And uh, you went to school with Reed. Am I correct about that? No, we went to little boy choir school at the same time, but it was the two two separate boy choir boarding schools that are in this country. And one of them doesn't exist anymore. But yes, we went to school concurrently (laughs) at the same type of crazy Harry Potter school. Yes. I knew you two were wizards. Speaking of Hogwarts and all that, which house are you? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Gryffindor? I don't know. I'm not a uh, big enough fan to really know. Uh, which right. is the well, one that I has like silly. the least personality? Is it? <laughs> um, I think Hufflepuff. Is it Hufflepuff right? that has like the least, the least detail? I believe so. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's Hufflepuff. They're sort of like sweet and and nondescript. <laughs> Are you describing there. yourself as a Hufflepuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a super flattering way to describe myself, right? <laughs> well, I'm, naturally, I'm a Slytherin. I don't really have any opinions. Oh, yeah, a Slytherin. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Slytherin, of course. <laughs> No Wait, matter which this, quiz I take, based, I'm a Slytherin. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask if it's based on your own inner feelings or if it's a quiz online. No, it's a it's a good old-fashioned, you know, 
like they have that website where you can go and it's like a Harry Potter website that you get placed in one of the houses. And I guess, oh, official. Yeah, it's like officially Harry Potter branded or whatever. Wow. Okay. So then you know what you really are officially. Yeah. So we've worked on a number of songs. We've done we've done so many now together at this point. But what's the your favorite one that you and I have worked on together? I well, NYC piece of me always sticks out to me for some reason. I feel like it we were really just like throwing stuff at the wall and having yeah. fun with yeah. like the sounds and the mix and just like going off the deep end. And I love the finished product. <laughs> yeah, like, me too. I remember telling you that I wanted like a sound of a tennis ball or like a racquetball being hit for the uh the like on the two and the four, basically. Yeah, like as the snare drum. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a tennis ball. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want it to sound like you're really just smashing a ball. And and you did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds pretty forceful, that tennis yeah. ball, in a satisfying uh, way. So the song we're talking about is New York City Piece of Me, NYC Piece of Me, and it is a version that I wrote of Britney Spears' Piece of Me, in which she sort of complains about being famous, essentially. And uh, I wrote a version about my feelings, about my existence in the ballet community and the ballet world, in which I'm too much of this, not enough of that, et cetera. And uh, it was at a point in my career here in American Ballet Theater in which I felt like I was a sort of unwanted newcomer and like too gay to function and <laughs> all that stuff. So I, I, you know, I wrote a song about it and, uh, and Mark produced it. And this would be a great time. Actually, you know what? We can play this song because you know what? I own it. <laughs> yes, you sure do. And so here's a clip of NYC Piece of Me. You know, my favorite song that we've worked on is actually Wallflower, I think. And yeah. actually, no, wait, that's a lie. Wallflower is really high up on the list for me, as well as I really love Duck Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Say Duck Hunt fast. Okay, we can't do that here. Okay. <laughs> Duck Hunt is a w- wildly inappropriate stream of consciousness type of song. I, I sat down and I just wrote words on a piece of paper and, and then recorded it, and that's the song. And uh, I had a great time with it. And Mark incorporated uh, a sample from Metroid, which is an old Nintendo game from the late 80s, I think. And um, Mm -hmm. it is incredibly (laughs) filthy and fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Which there were also video game sounds in NYC Piece of Me. Yeah, there's like the Mario coin sound. And the fireball sound. Oh, really? Where? when When you throw a fireball. So in the break, it's like, bow, bow, and then there's a sound that goes, that's like the fireball thing, but like pitched. I recreated the fireball sound, and then it's pitched around. Oh my God, I didn't pick up on that. That is so cool. Oh, I was thinking we discussed that. Maybe we we did, and I forgot, which is highly possible. (laughs) But yeah, Duck Hunt is 
pretty brilliant. It's like so fun because it's just a tour of, it's like a fun ride through your mind. Yeah. <laughs> and it, the video is like insane in the funnest way. Yeah. So for the video, my friend Jack Fervor, who is uh, an actor, plays a character. I made up this dance and they're doing this ridiculous dance in a cat leopard print cat suit with ears and a wig. And it's just stupid. And, you know, it's like a, a ride through my brain. <laughs> uh, and actually you and I have an, a song that we haven't released yet called you haven't seen the last of me. And I wrote this song after I got injured um, after my knee surgery and I was feeling, you know, sort of shaken and, sort of broken and all that good stuff. So I wrote a song and it it samples shares You Haven't Seen the Last of Me, which appears in Burlesque, which is a really fabulous camp movie. <laughs> yes. Um and yeah, I'm excited to share that with with people. It's not out yet and I think I'll probably want to release it as I get closer to being back on stage and have it like a, you know, I mean you the haven't seen the last moment. Movie. Yeah. I mean Provided all goes well. <laughs> yes, Fingers crossed. it will. I have faith. So um, I'm very curious to know how you get new jobs. Is it all word of mouth? Yeah, frustratingly so. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like any... I'm working on changing this trend right now, but it feels like any attempt I make to broaden my the scope of my clientele or reach for new kinds of opportunities. It's just like a hard no Mm. every time, (laughs) like like any effort that I put in to recruit new things is just not, it's just like wasted effort. But the luckily for me, the word of mouth thing has worked very well. So it feels like, I mean, Maybe some of the things I'm doing are having like a roundabout effect, you know, to like yeah. shape my career. But it feels like for the most part, it's just like the work speaking for itself and people who hear it and people who know folks I've worked with uh, will come come around wanting to do a project. Do you feel like you could use social media in a more productive way to promote your productions? I do. I really am uh, asleep on social media. (laughs) (laughs) When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <sighs> I feel like I was born without the gene that like makes it make sense to me. I'm like, why do I want to show all these people what I'm doing on a daily basis? No, I I understand that and uh, I applaud you for it. Is there a world in which you'd hire someone to run social media channels across Instagram, yeah. TikTok, YouTube, etc.? Yeah, I think that's a good possibility. And also, I think it's just a matter of finding a way that it feels authentic to me to do mm. social media. Yeah. 
so that it feels like I'm really showing my process and showing the reality of my creative life and my normal life without being weird. I don't know. It's just like having grown up without it, as you also did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a, ro- a rocky transition into it for me somehow. Well, it seems like it's off your version of being authentic on social media is just not being on it. <laughs> yeah. It's like being <laughs> completely like invisible. Well, for me, I feel like I've always been a really performative sort of look at me kind of guy. So when that helps, even though like I didn't grow up with social media, uh, you know, in my late twenties, I was like, I can do this, you know? And especially at that time, it was so different, you know, than it is now. Like Instagram was really just taking off and it was very just visual photos and like people sharing who they were. It was less commercial. Yeah. Remember when people would just like post a picture of a hillside and be like, I'm here now. Yeah, (laughs) I know. It's a natural change. I understand it. And it makes a lot of sense to me, but it is draining and it is hard to maintain self-awareness while putting yourself out there in a really sort of sellout commercial kind of way. Yeah. I, I, I have a really hard time with that and it doesn't always make me feel good to, to just like constantly be putting out nonsense. And I'm like, how I'm 50, you know, like leave me alone. <laughs> I'm at least 50 by now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't even figured out how people do that logistically, like to always have something to post. Mm. Well, for me, I find I only, well, this is something I've learned, actually. I try to post things that feel really natural to me. So like if I'm trying to post something every day and I just feel like I want to die because it's so inauthentic or it feels so forced. I'm like, all right, I'm strapping on the boots and I'm going to go and take a picture, you know? Um, but I'm <laughs> yeah. like, a lot of the time I'm like, oh, I have this funny idea. Like I can do this and I do it and it feels natural and silly and expressive and and it feels really fun. Uh, but But it's not like that all the time. And even in my like earlier days of of sort of like influencing style stuff where like a brand pays me to do something. Like I remember specifically there are some that I, I just was like taking the piss on it so hard. Like I got this watch gig years and years ago and I was like, I feel so stupid selling a watch. Like I literally don't really even wear a watch, like whatever. And so they sent me a couple different watches to like model for this post. And <laughs> what I did, like, what felt natural to me was I put them all on my ankles <laughs> and I like put my foot in the picture and I was like, look at my new watch, you know? <laughs> and in retrospect, I feel like the brand was probably like, what the hell this asshole? Like we're paying him and he's like putting his biscuit in the photo. <laughs> but like, maybe that's super clever marketing because people are going to remember a watch on a foot. I mean, I guess it, it, to me, the feeling I got from it was I'm so uncomfortable with this that I need to make fun of it while I'm doing it. It's like I can't just accept the fact that I'm, I guess I'm a D list influencer, you know? Like I have to make fun of it so I feel better about doing it, which I don't think is a great way to do it. 
might as well just give in if you're doing it and have some self-awareness and be like, all right, this is what I do. Yeah, I mean, both both options are self-aware, right? I guess. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's valid yeah. to sort of like, I mean, as long as you're not pissing off your sponsor. <laughs> Which I'm sure I have before. Like, I, I'm getting better about just being like, okay, I'll do the thing you want in my way, and I'll try not to hate myself while I do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then forget, and then forget about it immediately <laughs> after. <laughs> well, that's that's a given. My memory is not what it used to be. Yeah, samesies. <laughs> so I... I know you, I'm going to get back on task here. I really just ranted about social media for a moment. Um, I'd like to know uh, what the difference is between producing music for like web series. Like I know you work with Rhett and Link and I know you were working on that film that got, you know, botched. What's different about that from producing for Drag Race? Oh, for producing for the actual show, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, sometimes it's the same. Like, a lot of the stuff that I've done for the show is, like, those final four or final five or however many numbers where they shoot a music video with the last few queens. Mm. And so those songs are made already. Like, there'll be a song that I did with Rue before where there's a full Rue-only version. So then I'm just, like, editing that song and making it viable for a few queens to have verses on. Mm. So it's kind of, that is kind of the same. But then um, sometimes for movies, I've done, like, a very specific original song. Like, we wanted to sound like this song and that song, and it's going in this club scene, mm. or we want to license this existing song, but we can't. So can you make something that sounds like exactly the same, but not, <laughs> not legally the same. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting challenge, but I've done so much of that in my career because also so many drag Queens have done parodies of songs. So that yeah. I'm kind of like reconstructing an existing song there too. Yeah. What's your most popular Willem parody song? Oh, probably Boy is a Bottom. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> this is highly important. We're going to play you a clip of Boy is a Bottom based <laughs> on Alicia Keys' This Girl is on Fire. And enjoy. Are there any drag race queens that you haven't worked with that you'd like to? Oh, well, I've barely worked with Trixie Mattel and I would like to work with her more. Mm, Tracy. I thought that Bimini Bamboulash was so fucking cool and interesting. Yeah. That's a drag race, uh, UK winner, right? Didn't she win? Uh, no, she almost did. But then Lawrence Cheney won. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it like everyone kind of thought that Bimini was going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that would be fun. Yeah, 
You know, I I wrote a song uh, for Brooklyn Heights, Lady Camden, and myself, and because yes. we're all ballet ballet people, and um, and I what did I call it? I don't know. I called the group the Trinas, and, <laughs> and I'll have to share it with you. It's it's quite silly, but you know, maybe someday we'll make it. Yes, that sounds pretty amazing. And it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, why didn't that happen already by now? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, we'll see about that. So I, I'm really curious to know what your studio setup looks like. Because I know you moved, and I have experienced your previous studio setup in which, like, you had a bedroom off the side of your apartment in which you would have to like turn off the air conditioning and we would be sweating in there recording music. (laughs) The height of glamour, really. (laughs) But it gets the job done. Yeah. So now I have like a townhouse type of layout in which the bottom floor is the studio. Mm. And it is going to be really awesome. But as of now, it's not fully treated acoustically. So it's, pretty like boomy down there for recording vocals. It's like, you sound like you're in a cave, so it's not the greatest yet. You got to slap things on the walls. Yeah. I got to slap stuff on the walls, which is a whole endeavor. Why? What does that entail? Well, I need a lot of different things because the room is oddly shaped. So there's going to be a curtain, like a heavy velvet curtain that spans two walls, like a theater curtain that absorbs lots of sound. Mm. And then like a gigantic panel by the vocal setup and then ceiling panels of different sizes and then more panels behind the speakers. So it's sort of like everything's going to be different shapes and sizes. And I need to figure out like what materials exactly I'm sourcing for each Mm. thing and then how I'm putting these panels together and how I'm mounting them because like mounting them is so annoying (laughs) too. You'd think you could just sort of staple it up there or something. Right? Yeah. I want it to stay for yeah. many years, though, ideally. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to do something clever. And how do you pick what sort of microphones you're using, keyboards, synths, all that stuff? Where do you get your equipment? And how long do you keep the same equipment? My MO has been to keep it super minimal so that my setup does not include a lot of hardware. Yeah. So I'm relying on like virtual instruments and, and, you know, like virtual synths too, like recreations of classic synths, Mm -hmm. but they're software. So I don't have like a studio full of apparatus, apparati. Um, (laughs) But I have a mic that I like and I've kept that for a long time and used it for everything. I would like to upgrade the mic at some point soon. How much does a good recording mic typically cost? Well, it costs anywhere from well, you can you can make do really with like a hundred dollar mic if you try. Mm. <laughs> but I would say a few hundred. How's is my like, microphone here? I've got a sure microphone. What do you think? Ooh. Sure. Is it a K an SM7? It's a model MV7. MV7, hey okay. Is that fancy? Am I fancy? I don't know that one. Is it specifically for podcasting? I don't know. I, I asked Nate, my editor. Hello, Nate. 
and he recommended this one because it is very good at isolating sounds, so it's not picking up a lot of background noise. And um, yeah, awesome. you know, I live in Brooklyn. Uh, there, I'm directly in a flight path to JFK, so like hundreds. I'm I'm talking hundreds of planes every single day go over my apartment. And it's one of those things where my brain has rewired so that I can't hear them. And people are like, oh my God, your windows are shaking. I'm like, I don't hear it. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> so I'm very curious to know what you're listening to these days. What are your favorite albums of the last year? Well, I was going to comment real quick on the mic situation. Like you can spend $10,000 or like, $100,000 on a mic oh if you want God. a real good one. Oh my so God. they become like car priced. Is that what Beyonce is recording on? Probably. There's a Sony one in particular that I'm looking up right now to remember the actual price. One million dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, but it's very popular. Oh, it's $10,000. Okay. I thought it was worse. It looks like uh, it's available for $12,000 if you want to spend more. Whoa. Lucky lucky you. Yeah, like the the engineers and producers who have that mic seem to just use it for everything. They're like, it's so good. Why bother switching it out ever for mm. any reason? That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, microphones tend to sort of last forever, right? Yeah. Like I have my first microphone still from when I got my first computer and started making music and it, it still works, but it doesn't sound as good as this because this one's more expensive. This one is magical. Yeah. I still have the one and it still works from when I started music school in like 2003. Wow. So yeah, they go for a while unless you drop them. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you could sell the old ones if you really wanted to. Yeah. Is there some sort of like musician source where you can buy old stuff for for cheap? Or is that just eBay? Well, Reverb is a good place because that's like the eBay for musical equipment. Cool. Yeah, there's instruments on there and there's also like music tech stuff. So it's cool. Yeah, it's not necessarily super cheap, but... Because some of the stuff on there is vintage and it's like even more valuable than it was before. Yeah. Like, do you have any, do you have any old like Korg synths or anything that you really love that are used like that were used predominantly in the eighties or nineties or, or something? Yeah. So I, the, my first musical endeavor in the pop sphere, like I grew up in a classical household. So uh-huh when I first branched out into like pop slash electronic music, I got a Korg Triton keyboard that is also like a workstation quote unquote. So you can sequence songs in there and like copy and paste measures of different voices around and have up to 16 instruments playing at the same time. Wow. Uh, so you can make full songs on there, which I did. Yeah. For some reason, I felt like it was cheating to use computer software to help to <laughs> augment the process. I was like, no, I'm going to do it all on this janky keyboard with a tiny touch screen. <laughs> um, but that ends up being the keyboard that was used for all the like Max Martin 
boy band era Britney mm. Spears, like early Britney Spears stuff. So like all those orchestra hits and like drum sounds were coming from the that keyboard. The Oops, I did it again machine. Yeah, which I love. Speaking of minimalism, I'm finding out that that keyboard is available as a software synth slash sampler. And um, the keyboard doesn't fit great in my studio now. So I think I'm going to get rid of it and just use the software version because it's wow. like so much easier anyway. <laughs> you can just search for things in a little search bar instead of like scrolling through pages on this touchscreen. And like, oh my gosh. My, yeah, it's old enough where like the backlight has gone out from the touchscreen. So I can't really, I have to like put my eyeballs right next to the screen to see what is even happening. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I mean, someone gave me some sort of thing. Like, I don't know what it was. And then didn't I send it to you? What was that thing? Oh yeah. The wait. Drumulator? No. It had a funny name. It sounded like science fiction. It like had little like vacuums in it. Yeah, it was it's a Korg thing, right? It's mm-hmm. on my desk down there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't played with it in a while. Mm. Oh, what is it called? It's a little blue number with vacuum tubes. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it is, wait, Drumulator is like an old-timey drum machine. But it's called something, some like portmanteau like that. Yeah, I have no idea. I just know I looked at that thing and I thought, I can't even begin to know what that does. (laughs) (laughs) It's Electribe, that's what it's called. Yes, yeah. Which sounds cool. Yeah, like you're going to make tribal music on it. Yes, with which... Ray E's. Yeah, Korg <laughs> Electribe MX1. And what do the little vacuums on it do? The like little vacuum tubes. That's like a saturation processing. So the sound gets like, the signal gets physically run through those vacuum tubes and it kind of gives it this analog warmth slash fatness. Wow. Like you can drive the sound into there as loudly as you want so the more the more like intensity you give it the more sort of distortion the vacuum tubes impart incredibly cool yeah it's really cool it's it's fun when you are producing music and you cross that threshold of like knowing what that stuff even means like when people are talking about Mm. the sound being warm it's like i don't i don't know what that is (laughs) But when you hear the difference between like a digital signal and something that has been run through vacuum tubes, you're like, oh, yeah, it sounds much more like round and fuzzy and like pleasing instead of stark and just plain. It's like sleeping with a canvas blanket versus sleeping with a plush, cozy, (laughs) down blanket. Yeah, it's like an untreated digital photo versus like a film photo that has that like grain and personality Mm. and like Mm. glow about it. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Sometimes when I'm recording my own vocals, I think, gosh, I can hear way too much it's so imperfect. Whereas if I just like scream into the shower, I sound incredible. 
So what are you listening to these days? Oh, yes. It's a great question. I've been pretty musically ADD style these days. Um, It's hard to focus because there are so many artists to pay attention Mm -hmm. to. There's so much going on. But I've been enjoying, like, Dua La Peeps, of -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. And that's Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa, yes. And Kim Petras's Slut Pop, of course. Yeah. All of the fun, clubby pop stuff, I feel like I need to partake in because that's my jam. Did you hear that Elton John and Britney Spears recorded a version of Tiny Dancer together? I did not hear that. Yeah, so apparently Britney Spears was seen exiting Elton John's studio, and uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently they paid her an, an outrageous sum to come and do a, a guest spot on this song. And apparently it's very good, allegedly. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will probably have been released. So we're sort of forecasting the future here. And we're not going to play a clip of that song. (laughs) We really can't afford that song. I assume. (laughs) But yeah, I can't wait to hear that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it does. It really does. I loved the collaboration he did with Dula Peep, a.k.a. Dua Lipa. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. But I also listen to so much throwback music because mm. it's just fun to relive certain eras of rock and hip hop and like ballads from musicals and all the things. It's a little like all over the place. And also the the references that I have for projects on my plate are like pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of listening to like specific songs that I'm trying to sort of like take inspiration from for a Absolutely. project. So then my Spotify year end review is like, you love this song so much. And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> I was just like working on something that necessitated replays of that song over and over. Same here for choreography. It's like, it thinks I'm obsessed with Chopin and like Schubert, which I am in a way, but. I'm mainly just making a ballet to it. So it's like, you listen to 95 hours of Chopin, and I'm like, well, (laughs) no, no. All right, Mark. I think we have uh, finished our little interview here, and I just love chatting with you. I love hearing you talk about music and your process and, and who you collaborate with, and it's just fascinating. really is. Wow, that's so awesome to hear. You're fascinating. I feel like you should talk more about yourself on this show here. <laughs> I feel like I never stop talking about myself. It's, it's the uh, performer in me. <laughs> uh, Mark, thank you so much. And where can people follow you on social media that you don't upkeep? <laughs> right. If you want to see my um, lack of presence on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can follow me at Markaholic. And yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I started a TikTok that has nothing on it yet, but I'm getting ready. You're getting ready. Your TikTok's going to blow up. You know, there's. I'm I'm pretty much Markaholic on everything, and I my website is Markaholic.com. I think you should take a look at TikTok's producer corner. Like they have a lot of music production videos, and if you're so inclined, uh, you can post 
some stuff like that. And if you don't care and don't want to, don't feel pressured to because you're getting work off your own merit. So kudos, you. My own merit. Well, I'm thinking a lot of producers do uh, videos about production, like tips for other producers, which is awesome. And I'm trying to figure out a way to make songs that are for the people with interactivity. So like making songs in sections and involving the audience. So nobody else needs to be a producer or care about how Logic Pro works. It's just like, this is what I'm doing. That's really uh, cool. I love that. Let's make this song together just for fun. That's really cool. I mean, I would love to do one of those with you where we like ask the audience to tell us what to do. That'd be really fun. Sign me up. Okay, so go follow at Markaholic and go to Markaholic.com. If you ever need a song, you know where to go now. (laughs) Thank you so much, James. Thank you, Mark. so cool to be on your show. Yeah, you are my 11th guest. Ooh, my number. You're early in this run. I am hoping this show runs for a thousand years. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. All right, thanks so much. Forever for this show. (laughs) Uh, It'll be worth it. All right, thanks, Mark. Have a great one. You too. Don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can follow me on all social platforms by searching James Whiteside. My book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir, is available everywhere in all formats. Front Row uses music from the song A-Flat by Black Violin. Check out the show notes on jamesbwhiteside.com for exclusive video and audio from this podcast. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.